Amen. Amen. Praise God for that. Well, good evening to my in-person Gospel Fellowship family, and good morning to my virtual Gospel Fellowship family who are watching online. My name is Dre, and I get the privilege to serve as one of the leaders here at Gospel Fellowship. We are continuing our series and rebuilding, or rebuild in the book of Nehemiah, and I will be coming from Nehemiah chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles or devices, please join me in Nehemiah chapter 8, and I'm going to read its entirety. So bear with me. And it reads, When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled, had settled in their towns, all the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. They asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. On the first day of the seventh month, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. While they were facing the square in front of the, in front of the water gate, he read out of it from daybreak until noon before the men, the women, and those who, who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. The, the scribe Ezra stood on a high wooden platform made for this purpose. Mattatiah, Shema, Ananiah, Azar, I'm sorry, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Mahasiah stood beside him on his right. Hasum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshullam, um, I'm sorry, I just, just lost my spot. And Meshullam stood beside him on his right, and on his left was Pedadiah, Michelle, Malchia, Hasum, Hashbanana, Zechariah, and Meshullam. Ezra opened the book in full view of all the people, since he was elevated above everyone. As he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and with their hands uplifted, all the people said, Amen, amen. Then they knelt low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Jeshua, Bani, Zerubiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatah, Hodiah, Mahasiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Pelaiah, who were Levites, explained the law to the people as they stood in their places. They read out of the book of the law, translated and given the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping as they heard the word of the law. Then he said to them, Go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, and send portion to those who have nothing prepared. Since the day is holy to our Lord, do not grieve because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And, and all the Levites uh, quieted all the people saying, be still, since today is holy, don't grieve. Then all the people began to eat and drink, send portions and have a great celebration because they had understood the word that was explained to them. On the second day, the family heads of all the people, along with the priests and Levites, assembled before the scribe Ezra, to study the word of the law. They found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should dwell in shelters during the festivals of the seventh month. So they proclaimed and spread his news throughout the towns and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the hill countries, bring about branches of olives, wild olives, myrtle, palms, and other leafy trees to make shelters just as it is written. 
The people went out, brought back branches, and made shelters for themselves on each of their rooftops and courtyards, the court of the house of God, the square by the water gate, and the square by the Ephraim gate. The whole community had, had, that had returned from exile made shelters and lived in them. The Israelite has not celebrated like this from the day of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, and there was tremendous joy. Ezra read out of the book of the law, every book of law of God, every day from the first day to the last. The Israelites celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, there was an assembly according to the accordance. That is the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, in its entirety. So the title of our message today is The Main Event of Rebuilding Our Spiritual Foundation. And I'm going to come to you for uh, three points. Point number one being unity and spiritual hunger. Point number two, humble repentance. And point number three, joyful obedience. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, just thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. I thank you that your love never fails. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to continue to set the atmosphere so that your word can go forth. And I pray that it will uh, fall on good soil, where it will uh, grow and then root to the point where we will listen and understand your word to the point of obedience. Now, Lord, hide me behind your cross. Increase as I decrease and do whatever it is that you need to do in and through me. In Jesus' name, amen. So start with a recap. We heard from Elder Markin last week in Nehemiah chapter 6, where Sambalai and his crew was trying to throw Nehemiah and the people of God off the course of the mission that God called them to by distracting them with flattery, rumor, and spiritual abuse. But Nehemiah and the people of God stood firm at their task at hand and had completed the building of the walls after 52 days. And what happened in uh, chapter 7, since we're skipping over that, Nehemiah copied the register of the first people who returned from exile. And this happened about 90 days before Nehemiah became ruler of Judah. So in this chapter, he is now identifying the genealogy of the people, all the people who returned from exile, totaling some 42,360 people. So now we find ourselves in chapter 8, where the people of God had just finished rebuilding the walls, but now needed to rebuild their spiritual foundation. Nehemiah had not finished his work. His next task would take much more than 52 days. Nehemiah had to make the people into a proper nation of God's people again. They needed to learn again about God's command. You see, their main event was not to rebuild their spiritual, I mean, I'm sorry, to rebuild the walls, even though that was important. I'm reminded when I play my boys in, in Fortnite that they build walls to keep me from clapping them, but I still pull up my, L, my LMG and spray down those walls and still pop them. I say that to say this. Nehemiah understood that no physical wall would support their spiritual foundation. They needed a stronger foundation that would not give in when the real enemy comes. So it's safe to say that God simply uses the rebuilding of the wall to gather everyone together for this main event of this chapter. What are the walls that God allowed you to build? This can be the walls of your career, the walls of your business, the walls of your bank account, the walls of your home, the walls of your relationships, or anything that will support you physically. We serve a God of many blessings, so he graciously allows us to have these things, but these things are not the main event of our lives. They will not sustain us when life gets tough. 
there was only one main event in our lives that can carry us through anything that life throws at us. So whatever that event is that God allowed you to build, I want you to be thinking about that throughout the message and see if you have replaced that event with our main event. Is there anybody here who need to rebuild their spiritual foundation on today? For my leaders out there who are listening, how are you preparing the people of God that God called you to lead to listen, hear, understand, and obey his word? Beloved, this is the most important foundation of our lives, so I would encourage us to listen attentively to the text because Nehemiah chapter 8 gives us an example of what that looked like. So point number one, unity and spiritual hunger. It is important for us to know that God has planned for Nehemiah and Ezra to join together to lead his people to this main event. That being the teaching of the word of God to reestablish their spiritual foundation. In the book of Ezra, we see how Ezra helped the Jews who had returned from Babylon to come to know God's command and obey them. Ezra has been on the scene 13 years before Nehemiah, so this act of unity that we see between these two is no mistake. God is orchestrating this main event. He is bringing them together for a greater purpose, and that purpose is to bring his chosen people back into good standing with him. What is a wall if the people have no spiritual hope? You're technically doomed anyway, right? So not only do we see unity happening between uh, Nehemiah and Ezra, but we also see it happening with the people of God. The chapter starts off stating that all the people gathered together as one man. So this act of unity that we see here is also a move by God. They came with the right attitude, unified, expectant, prepared to hear the word of God and gripped by the need to discover what else God had in store for them. And here it is, in their spiritual hunger, they called out to Ezra the priest, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses to them um, that the Lord has given them. They were in dire need of the word of God to start the rebuilding process of their spiritual foundation. So it's clear to say that there is no rebuilding the spiritual foundation outside the word of God. But we still say things like, man, I want to grow in Christ or I want a deeper understanding of God's word, but we don't open up the Bible to read it so that we can grow in Christ and get a better understanding of him. We want renewal and spiritual wisdom excluded from the word of God. But that don't work. It doesn't work like that because it's the word of God that, get, that uh, is the foundation that we need in order to rebuild our spiritual foundation. And this is what we see the people of uh, Israel were hungry for. Is there anybody in here who was as hungry as the, the people of Israel were to hear the word of God? Better yet, let me talk to the body of Christ. Do we come spiritually hungry to hear the word of God as we come together to worship each week? Or are we more hungry to be seen in fellowship with our friends? God calls us together as a body of Christ to hear the word of God each week for a greater purpose. We are going to uh, be challenged throughout the week and we're going to have opportunities to share hope with our co-workers or friends throughout the week. So we would need the teachings that our pastors labor for to fulfill these purposes. I love how uh, the text points out that the people of Israel knew where to get the word of God. And they did not run to, the, to other gods whom their ancestor worshipped. They did not uh, call out to anybody who would tell them what they really wanted to hear. They called out to Ezra who cared about God's word. And we know that he cares about God's word because he was a scribe. Someone who copied the Bible by hand. In fact, Ezra uh, 7.10 says this. Ezra has devoted his life to studying the law of the Lord, to practicing it, and teaching all its laws and regulations to the people of Israel. 
So they knew what they needed and they knew how to get it. You see, many of us know that we need the word of God, but we still choose to seek words of self or words of friends or words of the world and then wonder why we're facing challenges with no joy or peace. Oh, I know I'm in somebody's business right now, but we just got to be honest with ourselves. We tend to only want what we want and then minimize or ignore what we need. Beloved, what we need is, is a spiritual hunger for God's word, and we ought to know where to get it. Instead, we make excuses of how busy we are at work, how busy we are with the kids, or how busy we are at school, and then wonder why the struggles at work and with the kids or at school isn't getting any better. It's because our time in the word of God is minimum. The word is where we find our source of strength that will sustain us through our struggles but we are not hungry enough to get into the word. We would allow ourselves to start to death from the word of God until we hit rock bottom, and then all of a sudden, we see, the, we see the Bible sitting there on our nightstand. But praise God that he still allows opportunities for us to rebuild, even in our rebellion. So let's get back to the text. So the people of Israel got what they asked for. They, they knew that Israel was a priest and a, uh, and a scholar of God's word, and on top of that, Ezra was ready to give them the word as we see here in verse 2. So Ezra is demonstrating for us leaders out there to be readily available to feed the people who are spiritually hungry for the word of God. Verse 1, it says that they asked for the word, and in verse 2, Ezra brought the book before them. So that was a quick transaction. We cannot teach the word of God if we do not know the word of God, and we cannot read the word of God if there is no Bible in sight of where we are. What are you saying, Dre? What I'm saying is we have to be people of the word, and the only way that we can be people of the word is by opening it up and consuming it. It is then we become spiritually hungry because reading the word of God would be more like a lifestyle rather than an occasion. This is why we have to be people of the word, because Ezra makes it clear that the teaching of the word of God is for men, women, and all who can listen with understanding, which includes children. So he confirms that the centrality of the word of God is the main event because it impacts a multitude of people and bring about unity once we hear, understand, and obey it. You see, this main event of hearing the word of God is greater than them, which is why it's not limited to men and women. Ezra read to all who were at the point of maturity and understanding because the more people uh, read to understand the word, the more that it will spread so that people can hunger for it. This also confirms that we have a responsibility to know and understanding the word of God for ourselves. So we can't say that my pastor didn't give me the word or that my spouse didn't give me the word or that my parents did not give me the word. It is your responsibility to get the word for yourself, but it would be a lot easier to understand the word of God when you surround yourself with other believers who are also hungry to understand God's truth. Footnote, get involved in a godly community you will benefit from other believers in the rebuilding process of your spiritual foundation. So we see that the people of Israel were so hungry for the word of God that the text say that they listened attentively from daybreak to noon. That's about six hours. So I know many of us might be thinking right now, man, ain't no way I can listen to the word of God for six hours straight. Well, don't you listen, don't you listen to the movies when you binge watching Netflix over six hours? Or, I bet you was in front of your TV last week, longer than six hours, listening to those reporters regarding the presidency. 
You see, we have the wrong thought process. We should be wondering, how do we get to a place where six hours of hearing the word of God seems more like 30 minutes because we're so lost in his presence? Brothers and sisters, it was the, it was the, um, the people of Israel's spiritual hunger made it easy for them to listen to the word for six hours. And I know they weren't keeping track of time because they were so wholeheartedly in their desire to hear God's word and yearning to rebuild their spiritual foundation. This is how the church should respond when we come together to worship our Lord each week. When we unite as a body of Christ spiritually hungry for the word of God, we will experience a supernatural revival that will draw us to repentance and rekindle our passion for God. The question is, do we want that? So verse 4 explains their hunger uh, to hear the word of God because as they were building the walls, the text says that Ezra was standing on the wooden platform that was built for the occasion. This also confirms that this is the main event because in the process of them building to protect their physical well-being, they had their spiritual well-being at heart. You see, church, as we labor throughout the week and we're going to get physically drained, we should have our spiritual well-being at heart. What are we looking forward to at the end of the week? It should be our time of worship and hearing the word of God as a body of Christ. Now, that does not take away from our own personal worship with God. This is just an added benefit that we get to share as believers and are reminded that we have other brothers and sisters who are with us on this journey of loving God and serving him. Okay, so as we continue in verse 4, we see that Ezra had six men to his right and then seven men to his left. He had a community of companions who agreed and insisted him as he read the scripture. Perhaps they also read the book of the law so Ezra did not have to read the whole time. But do we see the support of leaders in this mission of sharing God's word? So a question on the table from our leaders. Who do you have at your side supporting you in ministry? And I'm not talking about you know, a group of people rooting you on while you do all the work. I'm asking who is at your side that you are pouring into and equipping to walk alongside you in ministry? We're talking about spiritual hunger here, right? Well, there are some who are longing to be spiritually fed so that they can be used for the glory of God. They are just looking for a willing follower of Christ to make that opportunity available for them. So people of God, grab you two or three people who you can do life and grow with spiritually so that you can unite and share the love of God together. Now, you don't have to be a biblical scholar in order to do life and grow spiritually with others. You just have to have a hunger for, for the word of God and also his people. Okay, now let's take a look at how much reverence and respect they had for the word of God. The word says, when Ezra opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, with their hands uplifted, and all the people said, Amen, Amen. Then they knelt low and worshiped the Lord with their face to the ground. So they did this in unity, and nobody asked them to stand up, or nobody asked them to lift their hands or bow to their knees. Their spiritual hunger and honor to God moved them in love and harmony, to position themselves to receive the word of God. This response of amen, amen, is an affirmation of truth and the purposes of God. It is a response of great praise to our God. I think about this song that we sing that says, I will not let the rocks cry out in my place, and that we return the breath that you gave with our praise. So when we hear the word of God, Something should cause us to want to worship and open up our mouths, just like we see the people of Israel doing it, do here in the text. The lifting of their hands and acknowledgement of their spiritual need and dependency on the Lord. The bowing of their heads and worshiping God to their faces to the ground acknowledges the willingness 
to obey the Lord without question and their submission to his word and will. So where do you stand with this today? Does your honor to God reflect what we see the people of Israel who acknowledges their need and dependency on God while also humbly willing to obey and submit to his word and will? Or are you too far gone in your pride and stubbornness that you can't even recognize or even refuse to see your need for Jesus? Beloved, if that's you, Jesus still loves you enough to forgive you as you acknowledge your need for him. You see, something begins to happen when we are spiritually hungry. You see your flaws, you see your sins, and then you begin to realize your need for Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. Not only do you realize your needs for Jesus, but you begin to open up your heart to acknowledge your need for Jesus. And then you begin to desire a deeper understanding of Jesus so that will lead you to humble repentance, where you no longer want what the world has to offer you, but everything that God wants to joyfully give you. Which leads me to my next point, point number two, humble repentance. So Pastor Rodney used to have this saying where he says, you can't just read the Bible, you have to read the Bible. And it's this idea of seeing ourselves in the text and then finding Jesus in the text, but mainly reading the word to a point of understanding. You can't just read the word and say, check, I did my reading for the day, because nothing will move you. It's when you dissect the word and read commentary to the point of understanding that the word will begin to move in you in such a way that will bring you to repentance. And trust me, I get reading scripture is not easy, so you can pray to God and ask for understanding. And you can also connect with a few believers who know the word, who can better help you understand the word. This all plays a part in the rebuilding process of our spiritual foundation. So if you are reading the word for the purpose of saying, I did my reading for the day, don't expect to see change or growth because you lack understanding. Reading the word requires work. So the Levites understood that the community of people at whole needed to fully understand what was being read to them. So they went around explaining the law to the people. How did they do it? Well, verse 8 says that they read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. What routes are you taking to fully understand Scripture? Me personally, I love commentary because it fully explains the book. And I'm always encouraging my D group to use commentary so that they can better understand scripture. And so I also encourage you to use commentary so that you can properly interpret scripture because it's important. So when the people of Israel understood God's word, they were able to see their sin. This is why reading for understanding is so important because one of the benefits that we get is to recognize our sin so that we can seek forgiveness for them. It is when the light of God's word shines on the people of Israel that they begin to recognize the darkness in their own hearts. It is impossible for a sinner to catch a glimpse of a perfect God and not be convicted of their own sin. When they hear God's holy law, they begin to see the holy God of that law, and therefore, as in Josiah's days, they weep in remorse of their disobedience and with hearts of repentance. And we can find this in 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 11 through 13, and verse 19. Beloved, this was their response after hearing and understanding the word of God. You may be hearing this in your seats right now, and the Spirit is beginning to move in you. So I just want to remind you that there's still hope. The very people that we are reading about are returnees from exile who have not heard the word of God for many years, and in the same way, you may not have been spending much time in the word of God for whatever reason that you may have, 
But I'm here to tell you that these same people of God were the people who neglected the word of God at one point. And they decided to disobey him by worshiping other gods. In fact, their disobedience to God is the reason why they were captured and rebuilding the spiritual walls and and their spiritual foundation in the first place. But God knew that they did not have it all together, and he knows that we don't have it all together. So he applies grace to our disobedience and sends renewal. An opportunity to rebuild what we allow to be broken, and for some, an opportunity to start building what was never built in your life. But we must first humble ourselves to repentance. And this word repentance, just to be clear, is to turn away from our sins and run to our main event. Now stay with me because I'm going to point us to our main event at the end of the message. I just want to prepare our hearts to receive that grace as we discuss the text. So the people of God were so moved by the word of God that verse 9 says, Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to, them, said to all of them, This day is holy to, your, to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. They were so filled with conviction that in their weeping and repentance due to them acknowledging their sins to God, they forgot the day was holy. Leviticus 23 verses 23 and 24 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the, tell the Israelites in the seventh month on the first day of the month, you are to have a day of complete rest, commemoration, and, and a trumpet blast, a sacred assembly. Verse 2 stated that, that, that on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra brought the book of the law before them, so this day is holy for them. The first day of the seventh month is the first day of the Feast of Trumpets, the beginning of the Jewish Silver New Year in a 10-day celebration. So according to the law, it is a day of rejoicing. And we can find this in Deuteronomy 16, verse 15. So Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites understand that seeing the magnitude of their sins through the word of God causes the people to weep and want to continue weeping. But they also understood that God is, is, is readily available to apply rapid forgiveness to those who repent of their sins. You see, when we come to a place of humble repentance, God is ready to apply rapid forgiveness. We don't have to stay weeping because God's forgiveness happened immediately. But don't misunderstand me here. It's okay to weep of your sins. And the spiritual leaders in the text are not saying that it's wrong. In fact, in uh, chapter 9, verse 1, we will see that they spent time just for weeping of their sins. But on this day, this was not the proper occasion for weeping or mourning because this is the day for them to begin rebuilding their spiritual foundation. So the spiritual leaders simply wanted to remind them that they serve a holy God who wants them to rejoice because his forgiveness is greater than their sins. Who do you have in your circle to remind you that God's forgiveness is greater than your sin? This is why community is important because oftentimes we get stuck in our conviction and our experience of God's forgiveness that we forget to rejoice with our brothers and sisters in the faith. We forget that we, uh, that we have a God whose forgiveness is greater than our sins. So we may need a brother or sister to, to lift us up and remind us of that. And Luke 15, 7 says this, I tell you. In the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need repentance. So what Jesus is saying here is that the power is not in the repentance, but the power is in the forgiveness that God gives to the one who repents. The sinner that repents is washed clean by the forgiveness of the Father made available by the blood of Jesus. And this forgiveness is as if the the sinner has never sinned. Isn't that something to rejoice about? 
I love how the spiritual leaders in the text tell the people to go celebrate here in verse 10. They say something that I think we should take heed of. It says here in verse 10, for them to send portions of foods and drinks to those who have nothing prepared. So they encouraged them to share to those who did not have. When God saved us, he had others in mind. So when we experience that forgiveness of, of our sins, something inside us should make us want to celebrate and share it with others. To give them an ounce of what we now have because we have just repented. And that being the joy of the Lord, which we see here in verse 10. So that may look like you sharing with your friends or family members about the experience that you just had as God forgave you. Or maybe you putting yourself in a position for others to talk about their struggles. And then you tell them about the experience that you just had with God that gave you the joy that they're looking for. Whatever it is, or however it may look, just don't spend too much time weeping that you prevent yourself from rejoicing and also sharing that joy with those who need it. So what Nehemiah is trying to get the people to understand is that the proper response to such a day is joy, not, not sorrow. And they must share their food with the less fortunate neighbor who do not have nothing to eat or drink. And not only do they, are they to be joyful themselves, but they, they are to be, uh, do their best to make sure that everyone are receiving joy on this special day. So the Lord himself is the true source of joy and gladness. It is God's cleansing that make the sinner right before God, and it is the righteousness that result in the joy of the Lord, and it is the joy of the Lord that strengthens the righteous and gives them hope. Oftentimes we are looking for joy, and the Lord is saying, open up my word and read it. Once you understand it, you will receive my joy. So because the people of God heard and understood the word of God to the point of humble repentance, they now rejoice in the Lord and share that joy with everyone who don't have. So could it be that the rebuilding, the rebuilding foundation uh, process for you is non-existent because you lack repentance? Or could it be that the rebuilding of your spiritual foundation is at a standstill because you lack joy? If that's you, I got news for you. The main event awaits you. Last point, joyful obedience. Calling all men and women who are leading families out there. Are we studying the word of God so that we can lead our children in the way of the Lord in which scripture commands us? This should be automatic once we are filled and blown away by the joy of the Lord. It ought to cause us to want more so that we can fill our families with the word. And men, I just have to say that we must step up in this area. This is our responsibility, our heads of our homes, and it should be uh, um, a priority of our everyday lives. A family is only as spiritually strong as the head of the home. And I don't say this lightly because my peers and I always say that we didn't have a spiritual male figure growing up in our home. Well, this is a time for us to give to our kids what we did not have so that they would do the same with their kids and then their kids would do the same with their kids to the point where no one in your family um, future lineage can say that they did not have a, a spiritual male figure in their home growing up. So it's this idea of replication so that the families are impacted, then the neighborhoods are impacted by the word of God, and then the cities are impacted by the word of God, until the countries are impacted by the word of God, until the entire nation of people are impacted by the word of God. But it starts in the home. 
So the heads of the family from the people of Israel understood that. We see here in verse 9 that on the second day, the family heads of all the people along with the priests and Levites assembled before the scribe Ezra to study the word of the law. They were celebrating the day before because they um, experienced forgiveness and joy. And immediately on the second day, they are, uh, the family heads are pursuing their godly responsibility. Hear this. The text says, started here in verse 4, they found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should dwell in shelters during the festival of the seventh month. So they proclaimed and spread the good news uh, throughout their towns in Jerusalem and saying, go out to the hill country. Bring back branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make shelters, just as it is written. You see, when we experience forgiveness due to humble repentance, and, that, and, that we, and then we reminded that the joy of the Lord is our strength for every day moving forward, we respond with rapid obedience, full of joy. The people of Israel understood how much they were forgiven, and they knew that it was their duty out of the love of the word of God to joyfully obey it. Beloved, we cannot move forward with rebuilding our spiritual foundation if we do not obey the word of God. Far too many of us hear the word of God and understand the word, but don't obey it. It looked like, Lord, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but I have important personal matters that I, want, that I have to take care of. Or, Lord, I know I'm supposed to love my enemy, but I'm not willing to look soft by turning the other cheek. We allow pride and greed to get in the way of our obedience to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this cannot be if we want to rebuild our spiritual foundation. So the people of Israel shows us what joyful obedience to the word of God looked like. Look how, they, look how the people responded when, they, when the family heads returned with the word of God. Verse 16 says, They went out, brought back branches, made shelters for, the, for themselves on each of their rooftops and courtyards, the court of the house of God, the square of the water gate, the square of the Ephraim gate, the whole community that had returned from exile made shelters and lived in them. The Israelites had not celebrated like this from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day. And there was tremendous joy. So they heard the word, they understood the word, and then they obeyed the word without question. And the text said that there was tremendous joy. Looking for joy? Well, get into the word to understand it. And then obey it and watch the Lord give you joy that surpasses all your understanding. So that we understand the festivals of shelters, it was about the way God sustained his people while they dwelt in tents. When the, but when uh, sojourning through the wilderness. But when the festival is celebrated in this chapter, it's celebrated by the people whom God has sustained through the sojourn back to the land of promise and through their efforts to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. So back to joyful obedience, it doesn't happen outside of the word of God. So it could look like you read in Ephesians 26, I'm sorry, verse 4, 26, be angry and do not sin. Then praying uh, to God that he will help you grow in that area on Monday night. Then on Tuesday morning, you go to work or, or school and a co-worker or a classmate says something that really gets under your skin and everything in you really want to clap back. But you remember your prayer last night to God regarding the text, be angry, but don't sin. So instead of clapping back, you step away to go pray for the person while thanking God that you did not react the way the flesh wanted you to, but you responded the way the Spirit led you. That is when the joy um, comes because you just experienced an act of obedience to the Word of God 
after praying for growth in that area, knowing that you wouldn't have responded that way yesterday. So the people of Israel simply obey the word of God because they remember where God has brought them from and how he never gave up on them. It brought them to a great joy that resulted in joyful obedience. God does not command us to obey so that he can be dominant over us. Now, this is, this is a two-way street here. God, we get to experience joy because God is pleased when we obey his word. And what better feeling it is when you're walking in the obedience of God. That is what the people of Israel is experiencing right now. So they have participated in the main event of rebuilding their spiritual foundation by hearing the word of God, understanding the word of God, and obeying the word of God. But this could not happen outside of the word of God, though. It was the word of God that brought the people back from the wilderness. It was the word of God that brought them to repentance so that they could be forgiven. It was the word of God that filled them with joy that resulted in rapid obedience. And so we see at the end of the text here that they continue with reading the word of God because it is the word of God that will, maintain, that will be the main event of their everyday lives. I asked you guys earlier to identify the walls that God allowed you to rebuild. The building of the city walls were important for the people of Israel, and so are the walls that God allowed you to build for your physical well-being. But that is not the main event of our lives. Well, Dre, what is the main event of our lives? I'm so glad you asked. I'm reminded of the main event that God orchestrated over 2,000 years for all of humanity where the word of God became flesh in response to joyful obedience. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, which is the most humiliating death that one could ever experience. He was mocked by his own people, betrayed by his own people, and denied by his own people, but that did not stop him from fulfilling the main event that you and I will need in order to rebuild our spiritual foundation. He knew that you and I would not be able to amount to perfecting the law that the people of Israel have been trying to do since they have uh, received it. He knew that our sins would be the reason that our spiritual foundation is broken, which results in no hope for us. So he left his place of royalty to die in our place on the cross, which removed our penalty, our, the penalty of our death sentence, so that we may be made right with God, so that we could have the opportunity to rebuild our spiritual foundation that was broken because of our sin. Then he defeated death and the power of sin over our lives as he rose from the grave with all power that fulfills all hopes and gives us never-ending joy because for those who believe this this home here on earth is only temporary because we have an eternal home in heaven with the Father awaiting us. So who is the main event of our spiritual foundation? His name is Jesus Christ, our Savior, a.k.a. the Son of God, a.k.a. our cornerstone, a.k.a. our Redeemer, a.k.a. our Waymaker, because he made a way for us to rebuild our spiritual foundation while we're still sinners. He is the only way with spiritual rebuilding happens. So if you are in need of rebuilding your spiritual foundation today, I encourage you to run to Jesus and... um, and, and, and leave all the things that's distracting you from your spiritual life. So maybe uh, your hope was placed in the walls that God allowed you to build for your physical well-being. Well, now is the time to take heed of the main event of Jesus dying in your place so that you can have never-ending hope. You may have been convicted throughout the sermon because you may not have been, you have been slacking in, in reading the word of God and sharing that mission with those around us. But I got news for you. He has grace for you today. 
He understands that we are not perfect, and he understands that we don't have it all together. But so that doesn't stop him from wanting a personal relationship with you. He desires you and wants you more than you could ever imagine. So repent of your sins and run to him. Receive his rapid forgiveness and begin to develop a hunger for him as you seek him in his word. The opportunity to rebuild your spiritual foundation is available to you through the blood of Jesus Christ. The word that became flesh is the main event of our spiritual foundation today. So come to Jesus so that you can rebuild your spiritual foundation. The song says with just one look, talking about looking at Jesus, everything changes and I'm captivated and I'll never be the same. I pray that that's our declaration tonight.